Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, we are in this series called For the Love of God. It always reminds me of Kramer on Seinfeld going, For the Love of God. Um, and just talking about God's love. And we're looking at it from this perspective of a man named John. John was one of Jesus' three closest followers. And he wrote some material that's in the Bible. And we've been looking at what's called First John. So let's go ahead, grab our Bibles, and let's go ahead and open it up to First John. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one uh, out in the foyer. There's a paperback um, that you can grab, or you can go to your app. One of the things about reading along is it helps you stay engaged. You know, you know, what you get out of something is based on what you put into it, isn't it? Like what you get out of it is based on what you put into it. So sometimes I'll be in the lobby and some of you guys are so nice and you'll be like, oh, that message was so great. I'm like, that's just because you're awesome. And then there's other times when someone will say, ah, that message wasn't so good. I'm like, that's because you're a moron. But um, <laughs> so to be engaged. Now, here's what we want to talk about today. Here's a question I have for you. What marks you? What marks you? Like when people think about you, what, what do they think about? What comes to their mind? What's the image? What's the words? What's the visual they get when people think? When people talk about you, when people know that you're going to a, to a party and going to be together, or when people know you're coming over, like what do they think about you? What marks you? Now, I could throw out some names of some famous families, just their last name, and there's an image we would, we would probably think of that marks them. So, for instance, kind of one that's a little bit older would be Kennedy, right? If I say Kennedy, what, what comes to mind? What do you think about? For some of you who are maybe a little older, you think of Camelot. That used to be, we used to treat them as royalty, just like King Arthur and his court. We thought the Kennedys were like royalty because they were rich, they were politically powerful. He was a president. The brothers were very powerful. And we think of, we think of power, right, when we think of Kennedy. If I were to throw out the word Bush to you, not, not political stances, mind you, but just the family, you may think of political dynasty. You know, we had a president and uh, a son who was a president, and we had governors and congressmen that come from that one single family. They're marked by that. If I were to say the name Zuckerberg, there's some words that would come to mind. Eavesdropping was probably the first one that you think about. You know, my wife and I have this thing that every now and then we'll just start talking about something that's completely random just to see if it's going to pop up on our Facebook feed. And it does. So just saying, right? Eavesdropping. There's something, and there's some people in high school or middle school that you think back on friends you have, their family was marked by something. So for instance, I had a friend of mine whose dad played in the NFL. He played at Ole Miss. He played in the NFL. He played for the Green Bay Packers when they won the first Super Bowls for Vince Lombardi. My friend actually played for Ole Miss. His brother played for Ole Miss. So, so what I would, what I, when I thought about them and the great athletes they were, the, the image that comes to mind is I'm jealous. But beyond that was athletic. You know, there's people that you know that were the brainiacs. There's people that you know were the, um, you know, the musicians. There were those who were the, the beautiful people. How is it that you know, when you have a family and one kid's gorgeous, all of them are gorgeous. Like, how does that happen? Oh, their parents are the same. That's right. Um, so, so there's these images that come to mind. Now, for me, if you'd have known me in high school or middle school, high school, or even when I was a kid, the word that would have characterized our family, my family, would have been strict. Like, my dad was strict. He was a disciplinarian. So, so this is true. This is a true story. Like, but when there were families that, and back then your, your little kids had to come to church with you, that was terrible. But they would, they would come to church with you like in, sit in the adult environment. So kids would be a little squirmy, but not me. And so what would happen is that other families would call my dad and say, hey, can our kids sit with you this Sunday so they'll learn how to behave in church? 
Like that's, my dad had the old lazy boy recliner. Any of your parents had the lazy boy recliner? Yeah, you remember that? It had the little placemat in the back to keep the grease from showing up on the, on the chair. Like you put it back there. My dad, you couldn't sit in my dad's chair. He would know it. Literally, there was times that he would come in and he would sit down and he'd be like, who's been sitting in my chair? It was Goldilocks and Three Bears at my house. It was, it was, that was what we were marked by. And there's certain things we wanted our family to be marked by when Debbie and I got married and have kids. There's just certain things that we wanted our kids to do. Like, for instance, we wanted them to always respect women. You know, my boys specifically, we wanted them to learn how to respect women. We wanted my daughter to understand what to look for in a husband. And so one of the small things that we would do is we always let women go first. So we'd be coming home, let's say, from an event, and we were in two cars because we didn't plan well. We were in two cars. And so if Debbie were behind me, I would stop in the neighborhood, and she would pass me so she could go first. And it taught my boys a few things. Number one, it's not that important to always win because they were always upset about not being first. But also it just teaches them, hey, we respect women in our family. That's something that Gibbs do. You know, we wanted to teach them how to meet adults well, shake their hand, look them in the eye. You know, we wanted them to learn how to tell the truth. There's a lot of things that they were marked by. Hey, one thing though, just as a side note, I didn't want them to be marked by was I didn't want them to be called preacher's kids, right? I didn't. So if they had strict instructions. If they were ever called a preacher's kid by an adult, they were to give that adult my phone number and say, call my dad if you dare, right? Because I was going to do something difficult with them, take them in the back alley, and we would have our way in the back, right? But there's certain things you want your kids to be marked by. And for God, for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a, there's a way he wants us to be marked, There's a mark that he wants us to carry. There's a characteristic that we should display to the world. There is something about our lives that people should see whenever they look at us. And that our lives should be marked by love. By love. This is the mark that Christians are supposed to carry to the world. When people think about Christians, when they write about Christians, when they know Christians are going to show up on the scene for something, they should know this is what Christians are carrying. They are carrying their lives are marked by love. That's what we're marked by. You know, and so John starts out talking about it in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Let's go ahead and jump in. I got a little carried away. We didn't read the Bible, did we? First John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See the kind of love that God has given to us, that we would be called children of God. Now this verse has some amazing imagery in it. First, when we start out, it says, what kind of? That literally means, of what country? Like, what country did this love come from, is what it means. You know, when you meet someone who's from a different country, they may speak a different language, they'll eat a different kind of food, they have different customs. It's alien and it's foreign to us. It's unique because we don't do that. So what John is saying is this type of love that God has given us, this type of love that we're supposed to be marked by, it is so otherworldly. It is so unique. It is so different. It's not the way our world defines love that people should stand up and notice. This is what we should be marked by, something that is different. It's not the normal kind of love that we think about. You know, one of the things that we, um, one of the ways that culture has kind of taken the word love from us is through songs that we read, the songs that we sing. Like, how many songs about love can you write? You know? Like, some of you have your favorite love song, like, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. That's kind of an, that's kind of an old one. Um, what's your favorite? Somebody got one? A favorite song about love? Love Story. 
Love story. I have no idea what that is. Um, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite love song is Jesus Loves Me This I Know. No, nah, just kidding. I had to play the pastor card right there. But like what kind of love? It's crazy. The things that Christians will do seem to be otherworldly. And then he says this, has given to us. Like that is such an understatement of what this means. What this means is has been poured out on us. God's love has been poured out on us, head to toe, shoulder to shoulder, completely immersed and covered in the love of God. Like when something gets poured on you, you're different, right? You're different. Think about this. If you're dirty and you take a shower, water covers you and you're what? Clean. You become clean. If you're hot and you jump into a pool, then you're, you're cooled down, right? If you meet someone on the street and they need a shower and they take a shower and they're completely immersed in water, like if you're bored, you go to the lake and you go cliff diving and what happens? You die. That's what happens. <laughs> but we're different. And so what he's saying is God's love has been poured on us. So we're children of God. We are different people. We have a new identity. We should act differently because we are different. And so John is just reminding them that this is what we are called. We are called children of God. We are in his family. Then he says this, so we are. So we are. That is a term of identification. It's, what it means is that someone took you and gave you their last name and all the rights that go with it. You know, and if I wanted to be, for instance, Warren Buffett's son, like probably most of us would say yes to that. Am I right? Can I get an amen right there? I, I can't, I have no ability to make that happen. I can write him, I can text him, I can do whatever I want. I couldn't text him, I don't have his phone number, but I could write him. There's a lot of things I could do, but he, unless, unless he says, Stephen, yeah, come on, I'm gonna give you my last name, I'm gonna give you all the rights that would be to an heir of mine, you'll have my fortune, you'll, I'll help you with your investments, I will give you everything. He can do that if he wants to. And this is what God has done. This is what God has done for us by his own choosing, by sending his son. We are children of God, we are in his family. We are given his identity to love people, to love people. We love people close to us, far from us, people who are in our homes and people who are all around the world. We love people. And nothing makes God happier, gives him more joy than when his children love each other. Nothing brings God more pleasure than when his children love each other. Like, like, like how many parents in the house this morning? Okay, got a few. Like, is there anything better than when your kids love each other? Like, is there anything better? Some of you are like, I've never seen that. <laughs> I can remember when I was small, I was about eight, and I, my dad would take me to the barber, and Tony Catania would cut my hair. Uh, it was a pretty difficult job. I had the bowl cut back then. And so he would always have a bowl of dum-dums, little suckers, and he would give me one, and I would always say, Mr. Catania, can I have one for my sister? Aw, aw. He didn't know I didn't have a sister, but... <laughs> No, I do. I have an older sister. So I would take one. Now, what happens is you get to be like 10, 12. You kind of lose that, don't you? You lose a little bit of that. And like I think back on my kids when they were little, littler and they would treat each other, or even now when they, when they love each other. One specific story I can remember um, completely is when my middle son, Bennett, was, he was in kindergarten. And Bennett would go to kindergarten every morning. His sister would, would hug his neck, right, on the bus. Every morning she'd hug your neck. And you just, that was it, right? But one morning she didn't. And so Bennett's in class. He's a little sad. And because he's here, I won't tell you exactly how he was acting now. But Bennett was a little sad. And so the teacher says, what's wrong? He says, I didn't get my hug. So she walks down the hall, gets Annalie out of her fourth grade classroom, brings her back. Annalie gives him a hug. And off, off he goes, right? 
just brings your heart joy, doesn't it? Just brings your heart joy to know that. And then now as they're older, when my youngest son went to college, his older brother who had a real job um, would send him care packages at college. You know, Amazon care packages, you know, would have all the things a college student needs, um, you know, food for late night studying sessions, uh, PlayStation 4 controller, always have to have a new one of those, you know what I mean? And when they do things for each other, it brings your heart joy. This is the same for God. Like God has told us to love each other. This is what should mark us. That God has told us that we should love each other. And so that's the kind of people that we want to be. That's the kind of people that some of you are. Some of you are not. Some people, if, when, they th- when people, other people think of you, love is not the first word that comes to mind, is it? And you know it. You know it. And your life is small. It's shriveled up. It's painful. You don't have a lot of people around you. And you don't know why. You don't seem to be making influence. You don't seem to have any satisfaction and contentment in life. This could be the reason, and it can set you free this morning. So we start, he starts out talking about that. And then, then, he, he, then he continues on in verse 11 to talk about authentic. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And what that means, this is the authentic message of the Bible. This is where it started. This is what goes all the way through. And this is how it ends, that we should love one another. Because there's some authentic marks of Christians, and then there's some artificial marks of Christians, aren't there? Did any of you grow up maybe in a church where there's some artificial marks, some rules that were put on you that you had to follow? Anybody? Anybody remember those rules? Like maybe some clothes you had to wear to church that you hated wearing? Maybe, maybe some things you had to say. It, it always amazes me, I think, as we look back on the things that people did as Christians that weren't really part of the Bible. They were just some rules and laws. I wonder what they'll say about us, because it's going to happen. We do some stupid stuff, y'all. Come on. And so they're going to do the same thing to us. But I think back, there was this saying, that, that, that there's this little rhyme that says, you can't drink, dance, cuss, or chew, and you can't hang out with girls that do. <laughs> I would never have gotten married if that were true. She loves some chewing tobacco, let me tell you. <laughs> Just these artificial rules that get put in place. Like, like this one, like growing up, I mean, um, and some of you heard this, you can't drink if, you're, if you follow Jesus, right? The wine he turned, he turned water into wine, that wasn't, that wasn't alcoholic wine. What? <laughs> Where are we hiding? Um, and usually, now I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit my own right here. Usually that's the Baptist. Am I wrong? Like, I'm just saying, I'm one of them, or was. Um, I was delivered. But listen. Did, did, I, did I say that? So, so here's the thing. There's this joke. There's this joke. Um, there's this joke about Baptists and Methodists. So when you go to the liquor store, how can you tell the Baptist from the Methodist? The Methodist will speak to you in the liquor store. Like, there's these rules. You can't watch rated R movies. There's certain people that you hate and stand against. Certain groups of people based on some certain ethics or moral code that, that you hate. And that's this artificial mark that we have. It doesn't mean we lower our standards at all. It just means that love isn't about me agreeing with you. I, this is going to come as a shock to some of you. When you, when you get to heaven, we're all going to be walking around holding up signs that have our political party on them because it's just that important and eternal. And you're going to look up, and you're going to see someone that you sat next to for 15 years at Stone Creek. And then you're going to look up at their sign, and it's going to say Democrat. And you're going to be like, what happened? <laughs> you know why? Because we've bought into this lie that all Christians are Republicans. And nothing could be further 
from the truth. This church is full of, yeah. This church is full of people who are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Socialists. Like we, that, that's, not, that's not the mark. The authentic mark is the love that we ex- express. Paul wrote it like this in Galatians. It says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now love is for somebody else's good. It doesn't, it's not, it's not, doesn't mean I agree with you. It doesn't mean that we don't have some differing views on some very important issues. But it does mean that I'm committed to your good, whatever the cost may be, because that's the commitment Jesus had to us. Do you, think that, do you think that Jesus had some different opinions than we did on certain things? Some different beliefs? Yeah, he did. But he gave his life for us. So we're marked by love. This is the authentic mark of someone who follows Jesus. Now, now here's the reality. We're not that good at it because some people are hard to love. Have you noticed that? Some people are hard to love. So here's what I want to do in this moment. For some of you who are married, I want to give you a little freedom right now. I'm about to just give you some level playing field. So, so right now, when I say go, I want you to turn either, if, you, if you're married, turn to them. Or if not, turn to, turn to your neighbor. And I want you to say this. You are hard to love. Hold on. Wait till I give you permission. I want to be sure everybody understands. You are hard to love. That's what I want you to say. So right now, turn to your spouse or your neighbor and say, you are hard to love. Wait, why are some of you so happy right now? You, you enjoyed that a little too much. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Second thing, second thing. You're going to turn to the same person, and you're going to say this, right? You're going to turn to the same person, whether it's your spouse or your neighbor, and you're going to say these words. Not as hard as you. Not as hard as you, right? Turn and say it now. Right? We're all hard to love. The reason why we're hard to love is not because of you, it's because of me. And so Paul's going to, I mean, John's going to point this out in the story he gives about Cain and Abel. He says, don't be like Cain. I'm going to give you a little background on this. He was of the evil one. He murdered his brother. It's pretty significant. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So, so basically, you see, he murdered him. Why? Because of his own deeds. Not because of what Abel did. Now, here's the story from the Old Testament. Back at the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve had some kids. Two of their boys were Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. So when it came time to sacrifice to God, Abel went to got the best of his, of, his, of his animals. He got the firstborn, the best he could bring to God. And Abel sacrificed to God. Cain grabs some of his stuff, some of his crops. He brings it and he sacrifices to God. It says God looked at Abel's sacrifice said, that's good. He approved it. He looked at Cain's and he didn't approve it. And be- Yeah, he cried too. And because Cain, <laughs> because Cain, because Cain didn't approve of Abel's, Cain murders Abel. Have you ever heard this phrase, am I my brother's keeper? This is the story it comes from because God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother Abel? Cain says, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for him. And he kills his brother. Cain murders his brother. And the reason why, the root cause of that, is because when he looked at his own deeds, he, 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 they were evil. And he turned his heart towards himself. And he was 
selfish. He was self-assured. He was self-centered, right? He was selfish, so he killed his brother, right? And this is the, this is the power of selfishness. Now, now, John goes on in the next few verses to unpack this idea even more. He says, we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, right? So love has the power for life. Whoever does not love abides in death. So let's see where this is going. We've just come out of this story about Cain. Cain was selfish, looked at his own self-interests, kills his brother, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here's what, what Jesus has done is he's unearthed this heart condition that causes us to hate. Now, if I were to ask you today, do you hate anybody? Who do you hate? The list would be pretty short, if at all. Man, we would, most people wouldn't. We know hating is bad. Hating leads to evil. Hating leads to destruction. We know that, so we would not hate. But the question we really have to answer is what's leading to hate? And the answer is selfishness. The answer is being self-centered. If we were to classify our, the sins in the world, we you know, and rank them of most importance, we would see we would put hate, we would put murder at the top. You know, there may be another one or two. You may you know crimes against children, but but murder, we know that's the number one thing you should not do. And he says, if, you're, if you've hated somebody, you've done that. And selfishness is what ties our heart and leads it to hate. Cain didn't start out hating his brother, but Cain looks at Abel and is like, wait a minute, you got more approval than I did. I want what you have, and I'm going to kill you for it. That's what happens. Like, what ways are you selfish? What ways in your life are you selfish? What do you look at and be like, that, I'm selfish right here. I, I do that for my own. There's a, so many different ways that we are selfish. You know, when, we, when we try to go first, we're being selfish. Some of you are selfish in traffic. Like you're going through in line and somebody's trying to get in. You're like, I'm in a hurry. I'm not letting you in. Like, I'm going to be, I can't let you in. I'm going to be first. And we're selfish with our words. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to help somebody. We need to encourage somebody. We're, we're selfish. We hold them in. We, we hold them tight. Like around the house. Have you noticed how selfish people can be? I'm just saying. Guys. Do you leave dirty clothes all over the place? Right? God, that got a little too real up in here. Man, when we leave stuff for somebody else to do around the house, it's because we're selfish. We're thinking about our own agendas, our own time, our own money. We're selfish. We're selfish with the things that we have, the things that we keep, the things that we hold on to. What's the first word kids learn? Mine. 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 How many of you have toddlers or adolescents and they're just learning mine, mine? Yep. Guess what? It gets worse when they get older. Because then they can fit in your clothes and they go in your closet and they get them out. Mine, mine, mine. We are naturally bent to being selfish. Do you know that people who are late are selfish? Did you know that? Listen up real close. I'm about to do you guys a favor. There's two kinds. Because you'll say this, oh, that's just me. It's just my personality. Yeah, you're right. It's selfish. You are late. Because what you're saying is my time is more important than yours. 
My agenda is more important than yours. My life is more important. What I've got to do or what I've, my procrastinating is more important than your life. Guess what? You people who relate, you are murderers is what it's saying right here. Because <laughs> we're not considering the other person. He says, anytime we don't do that, here's what love does. Here's what love does. Love pours out life, right? Love just pours out life everywhere it goes. Man, love just pours out life. And this is what God wants us to be about. He wants us to be about loving each other, loving each other. Have you ever, for those of you who are parents, like have you ever noticed that when someone helps your kids, man, you, you love them, don't you? Doesn't matter who they are. I had this, had this illustration or this example with my daughter. She was in college and was down in Florida working a summer job and uh, a car broke down. She calls me, I'm 500 miles away. I'm like, well, call AAA. Hey, note to you college parents, get your kids AAA. You will sleep better at night, am I right? And I got no commission for that. So um, she calls AAA, they tow her car and the mechanic's trying to uh, overcharge her. Now my daughter can take care of business, let me just tell you that. And so they get in this little uh, 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 negotiation and it makes the mechanic mad. He takes her car and drag, drags it out to the road and leaves it there on the curb, right? So she calls AAA again, they come back, they get her car, take it to another mechanic. She talks to him, puts me on the phone with him. He says, this is what's wrong, this is how much it's going to cost, this is how long it'll take me to fix it. I'm going to take care of her, she's fine, here's the, you know, all that. And so this is what I want to do, I want to get my car, drive down to Florida, I wanted to find this mechanic to help my daughter. I wanted to grab him like this and kiss him right on the lips because I didn't care what anybody thought, right? I was going to give him my house, my car. I was going to give him whatever he wanted because he helped my daughter. Then I was going to drive right down the street to that other mechanic. I was going to punch him in the throat. And when he landed on the floor, I was going to kick him right in the head, Right? This is how God views us when we love each other. We need to be marked by love, even though people appear to be difficult to love, even though they appear to be difficult to love. Now, now love is not just this touchy-feely, oh, boy, let's all just get along. Watch what, watch what we have. By this we know love, so he's going to give us an example, that he laid down his life for us, meaning Jesus laid it down. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, closes his heart. Because closing your heart will make you close your calendar, make you close your wallet, make you close your agenda, make you close your house. It'll close all of it. Against him, how does God's love abide in him? Children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, our modern cultural belief on love is it is something we feel. Like we feel good, we feel bad. And if we wait to do something until we feel it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move quickly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to evaporate. You see, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Love isn't something that I feel, it's somebody that I choose. Love isn't something that I feel, it's somebody that I choose. You can have a little feeling of love, but beyond that is not the kind of love we see that lays down its life for its friends. Jesus didn't feel like it in the moment, but he did it because he chose it. Love is a choice. And, and this has life-giving power. Like for those of you who are married and those of you who will get married, you got to know that the primary place you're going to express love is in your marriage. And there will be days when you feel like being married. There's going to be days when everything's going good, she is going, for guys, man, she is going to, she's going to cook dinner and she's going to bring home a huge paycheck and she's going to clean your clothes and she's going to do, respond to every invitation. Yes, like everything. And then there's going to be days she's going to look at you and say, I see some problems in your character and here's what they are. 
And she's going to call them out. And you're not going to always be happy with that. But that's what's best for you. And this is when we choose. This is the crucible where we live out this love. And then there's going to come a day when your health declines and your body's decline and you look different and you go through different scenarios. And you don't want to depend on someone who just feels like loving you. You want someone who chooses you. You want someone who chooses you. And that is the kind of love that we see God tell us about when Jesus laid down his life. And this is the kind of love that we, we are supposed to express to the world. Now, when it gets to this word laid down, you see it twice. He laid it down. It means he set it aside. He divested himself of it. He gave it away. So for us to lay down our lives, there's some things we need to lay down. We need to lay down our time. We need to lay down our agendas. Sometimes we're going to need to lay down our money. And, and we lay these things down so that other people can have life. Like some of you guys, some of you guys have a lot of kids and you adopted another kid because you have that kind of love. Some of you, rather than upgrading your house, like most people, you downgraded so you could give more away because you have that kind of love. Some of you have given away cars. And you are, some of you have people living with you. Some of you have spent countless hours counseling people. Some of you volunteer in our kids' ministry. Some of you spent the weekend at Panama City Beach with the students, right? Because you have that kind of love. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of love that gives life. That's the kind of love that gives life. Then he, he continues on. Um, or maybe not. I think this is where I'm going to land. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Watch this. If anyone has the world's goods, his brother in need. You ever met anybody who was, quote, needy? You ever used that term, needy? It's, it's almost a derogatory term, isn't it? It, it kind of already colors what we think about people. Because people in need, you know what? They don't think like us. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in need. They don't make decisions like we would make. They don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They don't live like us. People in need. And this love, it requires us to get our hands messy. And it doesn't matter what they do. It matters what I do. So, so here's an example that my daughter and I were having this conversation. And uh, we were in the city, and we, we, we came across quite a few homeless people where we were. And, you know, I, every now and then I would, I would take some money out, and I would give it. And so we just began this conversation. She was like, okay, Dad, so we know what's going to happen with that, right? He's going to buy some beer or some heroin. I'm like, that may be the best he's going to feel all day. But he's going to buy some beer, or he's going to buy some heroin. He's going to do something destructive. He's going to do something not like I would do. Like, why wouldn't we take that money and give it somewhere else to somebody who's going to do what we would do, who's going to elevate themselves, who's going to use it for, to better themselves, who does want to get better? And here's the answer to that question. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do with that. It, it doesn't matter. Because love mandates what I do, not what they do. I, I can't be in charge of that. That's not my role. God has told me to love people. It, I love people who look like me. And that's easy, isn't it? People who pull for the same sports team that you pull for, that's easy. People who maybe work with you, have the same ethics, have the same moral code. Like, like, that's easy. Nobody gives credit for that. What's hard is loving people who are different. People who don't make the same decisions. Man, people who have, people maybe that you haven't seen in a while, who've done you wrong. People who steal your promotion. You know, people who will cut corners at work when you always do the right thing. People who don't leave their family the way you do. People who don't look like us. It's it's hard to love those people. 
People are messy. People are needy. And those people is us. We need that kind of love. We need it from God and we need it from others. There's no credit to love people who always do the things that we do. The primary mark of love, the primary mark of love is not something that I say. It's not words, but it's actions. It's not something I say, but somebody I help. Somebody that I help. Hey, let's go back to that previous verse. Notice it says, let's don't love in just word and talk, but in actions. It's doing something. You can say you love somebody all day long, but, but have you done anything? Have you leaned in a little bit? Have you taken some time? Have you laid something down? Has it cost you something? That's the kind of love that changes the world. That's the kind of love that changes people, and it's the kind of love that will change you. I had a few, I had a few indicators if you have that kind of love in your life. I just want to kind of read through a few of these just so we can kind of process. Like, Because love can feel so ambiguous. Let's make it really, really practical. So first one, who feels loved by you? Oh, my family, my like specifically, if, I, if you had to have a reference of three people that Jesus was going to call and say, they love me, like who would those three people be? Why is that? Is it because they have to because you have the same last name? Or is it because you've done something tangible to help them? Like who, who is it that feels loved by you? And is it just people in your immediate family, just people that you see every day, or is it other people? that you reach out to, where you're proactive at loving them. What about this one? Do you listen? Do you listen? Like right now, are you listening? But do you listen to people or do you wait to talk? Do you listen or do you wait to, for the next item on your agenda? Would you rather give somebody a $5 gift card or listen to them for five minutes? Like, like do you listen to people? Have you ever said, have you ever said, Someone starts talking and you think to yourself, I don't have time for this. This is a them. What you're saying, I don't have time for them. I, I was recently convicted on this. One of the things I do try to practice is because, you know, once a week I'm around a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people and I always want to just be able to talk to one person. I want to feel like they're the only person in the room I had a pastor tell me one, walk slowly through the crowd. So you always want to be able to do that, so you focus on that. And so I felt like I was pretty good at that. I am a professional. And so I'm at an event downtown a couple months ago, and I'm talking, and there's a crowd of people, and I've got some responsibilities, and I'm talking to this one lady. And she kind of, she says, oh, do you need to go talk to them? As if I'm looking over her shoulder while I'm talking to her. I know you're busy. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, you know, and I thought to myself first, oh, I feel bad. Then I thought, no, she's just, she's just dumb. She doesn't know, right? I, I'm, I'm not looking over her shoulder. Five minutes later, I'm having a conversation with another woman. She says, oh, oh, do you need, to, you need to go talk to them as if I'm looking over her shoulder? And my heart broke. That anybody would think that while I'm talking to them, they're not the most important person that I'm talking to in that moment. Like, has that ever happened to you? I ain't got time. I ain't got time for this. Do you listen? Do you listen? Do you give to people consistently? Do you give, do you give dollar dollar bills to people consistently? Like, first of all, like, do you, do you have it marked out in your budget? If someone were to examine your budget 
and they would look at the percentage that you gave away. Because you know if you give it, you're going to get the tax deduction. If they were to look, would you be proud of that? Would you be happy with that? Would you be like, yeah, yeah, that's a number I'm, consistent, I'm good with. Is it going to be 2%? Is it going to be 15%? It's going to be 20%? Like, what number would be good? Average American, 2%. That is not love. I'm just going to be honest with you. 2%, not, 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 not love. Jesus gave his life. Do you give to people consistently? Hey, do you label people that don't look like you? Like, do you look at someone and you size them up and you immediately label them as not like you? So, for instance, some of you guys and some of you Folks, you, you have tattoos, right? Do you look at people who don't have t- tattoos and you think, man, they must not be any fun at a party. Do you think that? <laughs> or maybe you look at people without a tattoo and you just give them this with a, ta- with a tattoo and you think, bet you'll never have a job. You ever think that? I literally saw somebody last a couple weeks ago with a hat that said, half tattoo and a job on his hat. Maybe you look at someone who doesn't dress like you. Maybe it's style difference. Maybe they are homeless. Maybe they do have, maybe, maybe don't have as much money as you. Maybe they have a different belief system than you. Maybe they are of a different political party. Maybe they're different socioeconomics. You look at people and you just kind of, you label them and you judge them just a little bit. That's that selfishness that leads to hate. Are you present with people? Like when you're in a conversation or at the dinner table or at lunch, are you present or are you looking at your phone? Kind of talking out there. Uh, Do you show up for people? Do you show up at ball games and big events and hospital stays and when babies are born and when somebody's grass needs mowing because they've been out of town? Like, do you show up for people? Hey, do you have hard conversations? What I mean by that is when you see a friend who's about to walk off the edge of destruction, do you, do you pull them back? Like, do you have a friend right now that you can tell in their marriage they're going off the edge and you just need to grab them and say, hey, come back here. Let me point out where you're going. Let me point out the destruction that's about to happen. Let me point out the pain you're about to cause. Let me point out your future Christmases. Have you, do you have hard conversations to pull people in, to help them, to love them, to be marked by love? Man, do you, do, you, do you show out for people? Here's what I mean by that. When someone, when something happens to someone, do you celebrate them with all you got? And when they get something that you wanted but didn't get, do you, do you celebrate them? Do you have fun with them? Do you make a big deal about them? Like one of the, one of the great things about Joey McLaughlin, among other things, one of the great things about him is it doesn't matter where we are. If somebody does something good, Joey stands up and slow claps them, right? It doesn't matter if we're in a staff meeting, a restaurant, or a funeral, although that's awkward. Joey slow claps them, right? We celebrate them. Like, who do you need to celebrate today? Like, who have you looked at and been like, oh, no, I should celebrate, but I'm so disappointed because I didn't get that. And, oh, do you celebrate people? That's a mark. That's a mark of love that we should be marked by. And this last one, do you tell people about Jesus? Now, let me tell you why I put this in there. Because if God has changed you, and if you've begun to follow him, and you've experienced his love, and you've been, you're a new person, you've been, this love has been poured out on you, you have a new identity, the only thing you can do if you love someone is to want the same thing for them. It's to tell them. As a, as a country, as a church, in our, you know, historically, statistically, we're not, we don't do a good job of that. And I don't believe it's because we don't know what to say. 
Because if we've been changed, that's all we got. All we got to do is tell people. I don't think this is. I don't think this is an evangelism problem. I think it's a love problem. Like, who is it you need to talk to about your faith? Who is it you need to bring to church? Or who is it you need to help understand their purpose? Who is it that needs to know they have been forgiven and they are loved? This is an indicator that maybe you've got some work to do. We have some work to do in the area of love. This final story. There's a friend of mine that has adopted a five-year-old. And they adopted when the, the child was much, much younger. The child's about five now. And um, they adopted from a, a mom who was difficult, drug addiction, knew she couldn't handle the child, has some, has some mental issues, significant. And so he's looking at his Facebook one day, and the birth mom kind of pings in and says, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. Right, like she gives this indication she may show up, and he's like, "What in the world?" So he calls some of her relatives who he stays in good contact with, and they're like, "Yeah, man, you know she's been in a bad place, so you probably should pay attention." So at his work, he kind of alerts them. At his kid's school, he kind of alerts them as to what may happen. And so one day he's headed to an appointment. Appointment gets canceled, and he decides to go back home rather than go to the office. And as he pulls into the office, he looks down the sidewalk and he sees this birth mom hasn't been in contact with her, hasn't communicated with her, but sees her. And so she's walking away. He walks, in his, he walks inside his apartment uh, complex lobby. And the girl at the lobby has just heard all of this venom from this birth mom. And this birth mom says, yeah, they stole my child and all of this negative talk. So he's having to explain himself in the lobby about that the child is his and all that. He walks back outside and there is the birth mom. All he knows to do is to say, hey, Julie, how you doing? Her name's not really Julie. And he used her real name, but that's not just for the sake of the story. And so they start talking. He says, how are you doing? What are you doing here? And she automatically just is disarmed and begins to have some, and then she starts having a little more tension in the moment about it and he could tell he says hey do you do you like coffee and she's like yeah I like coffee and he takes her around the corner to a coffee shop and listens to her for an hour and a half someone who's delusional someone who doesn't have it together someone who's been after him someone who's trying to cause him a lot of trouble he listens to her for an hour and a half and then he tells her he says hey it's been so good to be with you if you ever want to come back just call me here's my number and he takes her puts her on a train and she goes back home I don't know that I'd have responded that way I don't know that in that moment, I wouldn't have been like, you need to get out of here. I don't know that I wouldn't have called the police. My friend loved her to a place that helped her. This is the kind of love that we should be marked by. This is the kind of love that when people think of us, this is what they should think about. They should think that we are about loving them in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. God, that we would be a church, a people, community marked by love, that when people thought about us individually and also when they thought of Stone Creek, they would recognize they're here to help. And they want to meet your needs. They don't care where you've been. They don't care what you've done. They don't care what you look like. They don't care how far you've run. They don't care what sin you've committed. They're not going to put up any artificial markers. They're going to truly love you so that you can experience how much God loves you. Lord, that's the kind of people we'd be. Lord, for those who are living in selfishness right now, I pray you just point it out. For those who are tight-fisted with their money and tight-fisted with their time and tight-fisted with their agenda, 
God, that you'd help us. May help us to let go. Help us to lay it down. Help us to give it to you, God, that we'd be marked. Call us to a higher standard today, God. Your standard, not the world's standard. And that, God, when people, when people need something, they know we're going to show up. We're going to be there. We're going to listen. We're going to find out what needs to be done, and we're going to get it done. We're not going to love it in word and deed, but, God, in, in word only, but in action and in truth. God, help us to do that with all humility. We know it will take it will take some discomfort, man. It'll take some pain. It'll take some dirt underneath our fingernails. Take some phone calls. Take some texts. Take some visits to places we may not thought we'd ever go back to. And God, help us to do that. And I pray, God, in every situation, you would pour out life, life in Jesus' name. Amen.